Now we give a warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship today, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 103. It's page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 103 at the beginning. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. And all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God. And not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, help us to listen to the words of these songs that we sing. That song reminds us that we are not just body, but we are also soul. And we pray that we would be able to say with sincerity this day, O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. We are reminded in your word that we must worship you in spirit and in truth. We must listen to your truth and we must worship you in a spiritual way, in the way that you deem appropriate. We ask you to forgive us for putting our own views and our own aspirations before your views so often. We ask you to forgive us for engaging in so much folly as we have come along life's journey. We thank you that the song talks about iniquities being forgiven by you. And that's why we are here this day. We are sinners of the deepest hue. But we realize that Christ came into this world to seek and to save the lost. And we thank you for that. And we pray that we would rejoice in the fact that the song talks about you redeeming us from going down into death. Not that we shall not go through the process of body and soul being separated. But if we trust in you, we shall not go down to the eternal death of hell. And we thank you that that's the way it is for those who trust in you. We thank you that the song speaks about restoration. The eagle can soar to heights that for one reason or another it has failed to get to. In another of your songs, the psalmist can say, My soul he doth restore again. And that is so crucial. Because we are so fickle. And we are so changeable. We can be so resolute and so robust in our faith and our determination one moment. And then the next we throw it all to the wind. And we are as careless and as determined to go down a road of rebellion as you can get. We are indeed strange creatures. But you know us better than we know ourselves. And you have chosen to redeem a people. We thank you that that's the way it is. We give thanks for the sound of little voices in our midst. Bless them. Bless the unborn in our midst as well. In your own word, you cause us to contemplate how the bones of a child are formed within a mother's womb. And when we contemplate that, we have to say we haven't got the remotest clue. But again, it's all known to you. And for that reason, we pray that we would bow all over again in your presence this day. Because we know something of you, but most of the knowledge of you is hidden. But we pray that as we gather here this day, that you would be in our midst. And that you would reveal to us your truth. And you would feed us in our souls. 
Bless those who would be here if they could, but who cannot. Bless those who could be here, but are chosen not to be. O Lord our God, help us to use the means of grace you have given to us. We remember others who are joining us in a limited kind of way through new technologies. We thank you that these things are possible. Be a blessing to them. Remember those of our uh, number who are struggling, who are weak. We remember those who have just come out of hospital. Be a blessing to them, we pray. We remember our loved ones, wherever they might be this day. We thank you for them, and our earnest prayer is that we will all be together in the great beyond. O Lord, hear us and help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a little story for the children. Yesterday I had to go down to Edinburgh. But on the way down to Edinburgh, I called a wee farm at Daviot. And at that farm, they were in the middle of... Or no, they're not in the middle. They've just started... They've just started the lambing. And uh, I went into one of the sheds and uh, there was what I would call a homegrown gimmer there. Now I know I'm in the presence of sheep experts here and I'm not going to get into the details of the difference between a gimmer and a maiden ewe. But let's just say a gimmer is a young sheep that's having her first lambs or lamb as the case may be. And a homegrown one is one that you haven't bought in from elsewhere. You've had it uh, from a lamb yourself, and she's grown up. And she was there in the pen, and she had triplets. And, you know, there's something about this time of year, and I probably say this every year, but I remember as a boy on the farm helping out at lambing time. And when you would go, and sometimes you would have to help a sheep lamb, But every time it would happen, and I would see these wee creatures there, struggling to get onto their feet and taking their first breath, what it said to me was this. He is there. He is there. And the he I'm talking about is is God himself. There is something about nature around us that speaks to us about God. Every aspect of nature does. But there are some aspects, at least in my experience at any rate, that speak to us more loudly and clearly sometimes than at others. And when a little lamb is born, it speaks, you know, you look at it and you think, where have you come from? I remember when our children came home after they were born, (laughs) I remember looking at them thinking, where on earth have you come from? And, and um, especially with your first one, with our Mike looking at them think, and feeling that terrible sense of we're responsible for looking after you and, and feeling very, very nervous and whatnot. But, uh, but you just think, where does this life come from? And I want to turn to one of the Psalms and I want to read a little bit about this Psalm or at least part of the Psalm because it tells us these things. Psalm 139, Psalm 139a I'm reading from, and it's verse 13. And this is what the psalmist is saying. For you, O Lord, created me. 
You wove me on your loom. My inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. Now, for those that know Harris Tweed and other things that are woven, when you're weaving, you take bits of wool and some of the bits go up and down and some of the bits go across and uh, the loom is what binds them all together. And so uh, the, the loom is something that brings everything together. And when a little child is in the mother's womb, all the bits of the child are brought together. But if we ask the question, by whom? The answer is this, God. By God. And it's the same for the little lamb. And in my prayer today, I mentioned, uh, I quoted a bit from the Bible, about a question that comes up in the Bible. Uh, How are the bones of a child formed within its mother's womb? And you know, we don't have an answer. We don't have the remotest clue as far as the answer of that. Scientists and medical people will know something, but certainly not at all. And when we consider the little lambs and when we consider little babies, we have to stand before God. And I hope that we have a, have a sense of wonder, absolute wonder in our hearts. But I hope we have more than wonder. I hope we have more than wonder. I hope we want to just bow before God and to worship him for being an amazing and being an astonishing God. I hope we are all here today amazed and astonished at God. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm 34. It's page 40 of uh, the Psalmody. Psalm 34. And it's page 40. It's the beginning of the song. At all times I will bless the Lord. And bless is another name for praising God. I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord. Let troubled souls rejoice. Together let us praise the Lord. Exalt his name with me. I sought the Lord. His answer came from fears. He set me We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 34. At all times I will bless the Lord.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 24. Luke's Gospel chapter 24 and it's at the beginning of the chapter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marvelling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village called named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. 
So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. And now he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Then he gave them a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day arise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God, you knew that these followers of you, these 2,000 years ago, were just so troubled. And we're just so afraid. But you don't leave it at that. You challenge them. You ask them. Why are you afraid? And indeed why would they ever be afraid? If they're in the hollow of your hand. But here we are 2,000 years later. And we believe that you are who you are. And yet our lives are so full of trouble. And so often so full of fear. But you challenge us down through the millennia. Why are you so afraid? And just as we contemplated the forming and shaping of a child within its mother's womb. 
that's your work. So on that day, to frightened, troubled people, you said, when they thought you were a ghost, they thought you were a spirit, (coughs) see my flesh and bones. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. And not only that, you go on to eat some fish. And we know that spirits don't eat fish. But flesh and bone human beings do. We thank you for accommodating our every doubt, our every fear, our every question. We thank you that there were witnesses there in Bethany who saw you rise and disappear into the clouds as you returned to heaven. These historic foundational truths are what we rest upon here as we by faith interact with you this day. O Lord our God, we pray that as we seek to explore something of an area of scripture this day that you would come in amongst us and that you would help us and that you would do us good and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song Psalm 34 it's page 40 and it's at verse 8 Come taste and see the Lord is good who trusts in him is blessed O fear the Lord, you saints, with need you will not be oppressed. Young lions may grow weak and faint and hunger for their food, but those who wait upon the Lord will not lack any good. Verses 8 to 14 of Psalm 34. Come taste and see the Lord is good.
to the passage we've read in the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 24 and we'll read again at verse 25 and he said to them O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore this area of scripture. There are four things that we want to look at today. And what I've decided to do is to look at two of them at this morning's service and look at the other two at this evening service and that will conclude our mini series that we have done on the Easter story. We want to look at the deduction that the disciples came to. They deduced things in their own minds and they had worked out what they expected to happen concerning this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll explore that. The second thing is the direction that Jesus gives to them. Because he comes to them and he directs them in the correct path. Because they've got themselves all over the place. The third thing we want to look at is the delight they experience when Jesus puts them in the right direction. And the fourth thing is the determination that entered into their experience as a result of the delight that they experience. But as far as the delight and the determination are concerned, we're going to leave that for this evening service. We're going to look today, or at this time, at the deduction and the direction. And at verse 17, we read this concerning these people. He said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And in verse 21, we read this, But we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Now we obviously can't look at everything in this passage of scripture, but let's look at some of them. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now whether we have two men here or we have a man and a woman, I think I've said this often from this pulpit, that one of my predecessors, Walter Macquarie, who was the minister of Knockbain for 42 years, was a... Uh, convinced that this was a husband and wife well the Greek will allow that um, I'm not 100% sure how he came to that deduction maybe he was right 
but uh, these two people are on a seven mile journey from Jerusalem back to this village known of as Emmaus and I think we can tell that they're pretty flat and that their hearts are in their boots they were sad and we have to ask the question why were they why were they sad now it's the Passover time that's what's been going on up at uh, up at uh, Jerusalem but it's not just that the Passover has taken place something astonishing has taken place at this uh, Passover the Passover that had been celebrated for most of 1446 years there was a gap when it wasn't being celebrated but we can say for the vast majority of 1446 years the Jews came to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover and they celebrated the Passover and the Passover was to remind them that they were a people in slavery and in bondage in Egypt and God redeemed them in a miraculous way from that slavery and that bondage But Jesus was crucified during this Passover. And it wasn't that the church leaders had planned it initially to be that way. And we explored that. Jerusalem is jam-packed with people. They need Pontius Pilate's permission to execute Jesus. They can't afford to fall out with Pilate in any way, shape or form. If there's some kind of fight breaks out on the streets of Jerusalem as they try to capture Jesus, they're not going to get what they want. They're not going to get what they want from uh, from Pilate. And uh, by and by, Jesus is captured, arrested through the through the the devilish work of. Uh, of Judas Iscariot but this Passover these two people have attended but we know from the writing of Paul to the Corinthians that ultimately the Passover pointed to something that Jesus himself would do on behalf of his people he is the Passover Every Passover lamb that was ever slain for almost one and a half thousand years was pointing to the lamb, the lamb of God, who would do something. He would take away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And here it had been all, it had all been enacted out in Jerusalem. Everything is fine-toned. Everything is done exactly as was pre-planned by God. But not everybody saw it in God's way. Not everybody saw it in God's way. It's not as if Jesus hadn't explained it to them because he had again and again and again. He had said he's going to die and on the third day he's going to rise again. But they just did not take it on board. They just did not believe it. Even the people who were closest to him. Remember on one occasion, not James, but John and Peter go to the tomb of Jesus. 
and they look into the tomb John and Peter one of them does believe that he's been resurrected and the other didn't believe now that's interesting that we have a record of that because both of these men both were disciples both saw the exact same evidence but both came to different conclusions about the matter now how true is that to life it's just a reminder to us of just how true and honest the word the word of God is but you'll remember how it was with, with Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene you know out of whom Christ cast seven devils and you know those who have been forgiven much they love much and Mary Magdalene showed that she was there amongst the women who saw where Jesus was entombed she was there at the crack of dawn on the Sunday the Lord's day to anoint this body why? well I guess if you've been relieved from the bondage of seven demons you've lived a pretty profligate life and she'd been redeemed from that she'd been redeemed from that and her response is ardent love for Jesus and I do hope that we are here today who have an ardent love for Jesus because we may not have had seven demons like Mary Magdalene but our sins are enormous just enormous and contemplation of our sins at times will depress the very life out of us but that's at that very moment we have to remind ourselves salvation is a gift it's the most astonishing gift in all of creation it's a gift and Mary Magdalene knew that and so she was there and you'll remember in all that happens they go to the tomb these women and they find an empty tomb and they are absolutely shocked to the very core and some of these women run back into the city to tell others what's happened and Mary Magdalene is there all on her own and she hears someone and she thinks it's the gardener and she says will you tell me where they've put him what does that tell you about Mary Magdalene she thinks Christ is still dead she thinks Christ is still dead her deduction about the whole aspect of Jesus is that he's a dead Christ still a dead Christ and if you take somebody at the other end of the spectrum someone like Judas Iscariot who did not love Jesus he came to his own he deduced his own thoughts about Jesus of Nazareth he thought that Jesus was going to be some kind of political entity and he was going to cash in on that and he was going to get the power and the influence and the money and everything else that comes with it he was going to be part of that and when he saw the whole thing falling apart he thought to himself I'm not going to get nothing out of this I'm not going to get nothing I'm going to get something and that's when he engaged in his pact with the church leaders. I know where you can arrest him in an area that will not be problematic for you. You can achieve what you want and still stay in the good books of Pontius Pilate. 
But I'm not telling you unless you give me something. And ultimately, it was 30 pieces of silver. Ultimately, that's what it was. He had his own thoughts. He had deduced his own ideas about who Jesus was and who Jesus wasn't. And it's the same with these people here. The two on the road to Emmaus. They are going home from this Passover festival with heavy hearts and they are very, very sad. And they are very, very sad because they've come to their own deductions about who Jesus was and what went on in Jerusalem in this last period of time. But someone joins them on that journey and it is interesting they don't know who it is but it is Jesus of Nazareth it's the resurrected Jesus and it's very interesting the directions that Jesus gives to these people oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe see that there's the problem they haven't believed now it's interesting that when Jesus comes alongside these people he asks them what's going on (laughs) now he knows better than any of them he knows better than anybody around what's been going on He's been at the heart of it. He is the Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb that was slain for the sins of the people of this world. And now he has risen triumphant over the grave. And he joins these two on their journey, uh, on their road to Emmaus. Then one of them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. And I think there's significance in that standing still, because their their mouths are wide open, and they're absolutely taken aback. And they think, What are you talking about? What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Now Jesus knows very well what things. So you might say, Well, why on earth is he asking this question? Jesus asks us questions not for his own good. But Jesus often asks us questions for our good. He doesn't need to have learning. We are the ones that need it to learn. And they said to him, Concerned Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes 
And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. What's going on here? Now I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that these two people on the road to Emmaus were believers. Their hearts did burn within them as he talked to us by the way, and they don't want they don't want Jesus to leave them, but we'll look a bit more at that uh, this this evening. But as well as being believers, these people had mixed up thoughts. They were also, I think, probably along the lines of Jesus doing something of some kind of political nature. They, they certainly didn't expect him to die. They certainly expect him to use his powers to do something in respect of the Jewish people. And these hopes were dashed. These hopes were completely dashed. And they do have some idea about something specific on the third day. But that's, it hasn't transpired the way that they were hoping, whatever that way was. And now, right now, they are just so, so in the doldrums. And that's when Jesus comes alongside and he gives them direction. And what does he say? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. What does Jesus do? He puts his finger on the raw nerve, and he points out the fact that you're not believing. You're not believing. You haven't listened to me. You have been you have been so foolish. And you know, it's not as if that's a problem that existed 2,000 years ago amongst the early church. It's still with us today. It's still with us today. We are so often as Christians in the doldrums. Do we have just cause to be in the doldrums? No, we don't. No, we don't. And we have to do what Jesus did with these people. We have to listen to what Jesus is saying. And you know what the psalmist says? Oh, why art thou cast down my soul? What's he doing? He's talking to himself. He's challenging himself. Why are you in the doldrums? Why are you sad? Why are you so flat? Why indeed? Why indeed, and what Jesus does was this. You're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So he talks about suffering, he talks about glory, and he talks about the necessity of these things. What things? His death, but not just his death. His resurrection as well, beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now remember these people don't have a New Testament. It hasn't yet been written. But they've had the whole of the, of the Old Testament. Now what does Jesus do? He goes back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is absolutely littered through and through with teachings about Jesus of Nazareth. 
It's littered through and through about the Passover. It's littered through and through with sin being taken away through the shedding of blood. Again and again and again it's pointing to these things. Now it's not that Jesus started at Genesis and came right the way through to, well, our final book is Malachi. It's not the final book of the of the Hebrew Bible. But it's not that Jesus went through all the books. They simply didn't have time to do that. They simply didn't have time to do that. But he went through some of it with them. And he, he, he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And you know, it is just so important for us when we are reading any scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, it is just so important for us to turn heavenwards and to ask Jesus to open our eyes. You know, someone asked me at the at the club on Friday, at the senior club, Have you read all of the Bible? And what I said was this. I'm always hesitant to say that I've read all of the Bible. I have read it from Genesis to Revelation. But sometimes people think that when you say you've read a book, you know what the book's all about. And that's where my hesitancy comes from. Because I don't know what the Bible is all about. There's just so much in it. There is just so much in it. And yes, we can cast our eye over every page from Genesis to Revelation. And we can say we've read it. But that's not the same as saying I know it and I understand it. And to know it and to understand it, we need the enabling of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. It is interesting that as these people walked along... They hadn't a clue who Jesus was. Hadn't a clue. That's not the way it is by the time Jesus leaves. They know who Jesus is. And if my memory will serve me this evening, we'll look a wee bit at that. Uh, How it looks as if they saw nail-pierced hands and the penny dropped and it all fell into place. But, But the point is this. They were kept from seeing who he really was. And then they know who he is. And that's the doing of the Lord. And we have to remember that every time we come to the word of God. And every time that we seek to learn. We have to turn heavenwards and we have asked him to give us his spirit. So that our eyes will be opened. So that we can see spiritual truth. And we can glean these things from the word of God. And uh, ultimately... We too will have hearts burning within us. Although we're not looking at that just now. Hopefully we will look at that. Uh, we will look at that in, in, in the evening. But we so, so need direction from Christ. Because we have our own thoughts and we have our own ideas. And like these too long ago we have come to our own deductions and sometimes our own deductions are so far far 
off the mark. So far off the mark. But he does come. And a spade is a spade with Jesus of Nazareth. They, they are his disciples. I don't think there's any question of that. But they are disciples who have come to wrong deductions. And Jesus is saying, oh foolish ones. Jesus is not going to pretend with them. Jesus comes to the point and he hits the nail in the head. You are being foolish. And you are slow of heart to believe. But this Christ takes foolish, slow of heart to believe individuals. And he reveals glorious, glorious truths to them. You know, the irony is this. The very things that were so deflating them and were so getting them down are one and the same things as will cause their souls to be elated by the time Jesus goes. He turns it all on its head. You know, I spoke earlier about troubled people and fearful people. We are so often so troubled. And we are so often so fearful. But it's these very things that Jesus can take and turn completely on their head. That's what he did on this occasion. It's marvellous truth. It is the doing of the Lord. And it is wondrous in his eyes. And may God bless us as we further look at this area of scripture this evening if we are spared. Let's conclude by singing the final few verses of Psalm 34. It's page 41 of the Psalter and it's at verse 15. The Lord's eyes are upon the just he listens to their plea the wicked he rejects and blots from earth their memory the righteous cry the Lord responds and frees them when distressed the Lord draws near the broken heart and rescues the depressed we'll sing verses 15 to 22 the Lord's eyes are upon the just
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one.